0: It's been a really strange off vis
1: Vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. You made it! We're not sabermetrician. That's all behind us now. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. But it was totally worth, it, was worth it. it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Hey there, welcome to
0: Flushing Transit Authority. It's still a Mets podcast. They keep trying to throw us off the scent, but... We're too, uh, we're too committed or crazed to, to give up uh, give up the ghost at this point. Um, uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jay Bushman, and I'm here with my co-host, Will Stegman.
1: Hello, Jay. How are you? I want to say that um, this is the official uh, David Lee Roth edition of Flushing Transit Authority in the sense that we are crazy from the heat <laughs> because yes. um, we are in Los Angeles, as you know. Um, we are... Um, not only suffering through the doldrums of a Mets season, but right now in Los Angeles, it is roughly 115 degrees at 9:30 in the morning, and it shows no signs of getting any cooler.
0: See, I thought you were going to say that it's the David Lee Roth edition because we might as well jump.
1: Oh yes, we might as well jump.
0: Yeah. So, so listeners, I gotta, I gotta inform you of this. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Will and I were sending some email about scheduling uh when we're going to record the next episode and i i signed off an email that said um by the next time we record i bet 30 percent chance that sandy alderson is no longer the gm of the mets and the next day sandy alderson uh stepped down so so that was unexpected
1: That was unexpected um, We'd just like to say First of all, we know Sandy is a uh, is a listener um, mm-hmm. He's often I see him commenting on the boards
0: I get these late night tweets from him yeah. These long DMs
1: Yeah, Sandy, we wish you the best wish you the best yeah. We hope that um, you make a speedy and full recovery And that you are back uh, in the office Disappointing <laughs> us all over again
0: I gotta say, I I don't think I've ever seen any press conference like that press conference right. where Sandy announced he was stepping down. And the, the thing that he said about not being sure his performance warranted him coming back. Um, right. I, I don't recall ever seeing someone basically fire themselves
1: mm-hmm. like I, that. Yeah, you rarely see that level of... Um, honesty in a, in a, in a press conference. You know, normally, you know, Jay, you and I have worked for, worked in whatever version of corporate America Mm -hmm. you, um, you subscribe to, you know, we've, we've been adherents to late stage capitalism for a while here. Mm -hmm. And you know how anytime there is a public statement, how carefully, Manicured it yes. is, yes. and to see Sandy Alderson basically speak so freely, mm-hmm. um, you know, I made a joke, hey Sandy, just a second ago about being disappointed in um, the results, um, but the fact of the matter is, I will walk that back immediately and mm-hmm. say that, like, I believe Sandy Alderson is a is a good person, and I certainly believe that he has done he has tried his best with one hand financially tied behind his back. And I think we all know that the direction of this team comes from the very top. And there's only so much you can do with an organization like the New York Mets.
0: So that has become the the dominant uh, narrative around the team for good reasons. Um, But I find myself thinking a lot over the past couple of weeks how... If you cast your mind back to 2015...
1: I do all the time.
0: There were... I remember there was a big sort of uh, subtext to the NLCS between the Mets and the Cubs. And one of the uh, the interesting things about that was the Mets and the Cubs were two teams that were built on opposing principles. The Cubs were get as many good hitters, good young hitters as you can, and fill in with free agent pitching. The Mets were get as much young pitching under control and fill in with free agent hitting. And what, I, I ha, what I've I seen people forget in the last two years when they've ripped everybody involved with the Mets for bad player development, bad planning, bad like what are they doing, what's their plan, is that the plan that Sandy put into place was based on the San Francisco Giants from the beginning of the decade or like 5-10 years ago right. where they went to the World Series every other year based on a core of young controllable pitching filled in with free agents and trades for older bets. So there's been this idea that like the Mets don't have a strategy. They've had a strategy. It hasn't worked.
1: Right. That strategy in 2015 paid off because you had the perfect confluence of events of that pitching was largely healthy mm-hmm. and effective. Yes. The bullpen was largely healthy and effective then you throw in the wild card obviously mm-hmm. of the midseason Cespedes pickup. Yes. Cespedes then goes on fire. Yes. You have a young Michael Conforto who comes up late in the season and produces and then you've got these players who you picked up as complementary parts be it Kelly Johnson, mm-hmm. be it, um, what's Jose his Uribe. name? Jose Uribe. Uh, Thank you. It's yes. Juan Uribe. Sorry. Juan Uribe. Jose Uribe, former San Francisco yes. Giants. Juan Uribe. Um, Juan Uribe, um, the late season return of David Wright. There was a series of events mm-hmm. that happened that all happened at exactly the right time. And that's just not going to happen again. Right. As we saw...
0: They also made... I mean, they tried to do the same thing the past couple of years, and it's just that the players they brought in either got hurt, underperformed, or you could look at it the other way, that ownership did not give them the money to go get the people that actually would have solved the problem following the strategy, and they had to settle for option B, option C. How different is this team this year if they had gone out and signed Lorenzo Cain? How different is this team this year if they got Mike Moustakis instead of Todd Frazier? Right. Now, it's impossible that they could have made those two, two moves and both those guys could have gotten hurt and we'd be in the same boat. Um, but what I'm, regardless of the individual failures or successes, individual injuries, overperforming, underperforming, the Mets have had a strategy. They've had a blueprint that. Sandy Alderson put in place. That blueprint has now been ripped up and thrown away.
1: Right. And now they're basically playing without a template, and they're just hoping for the best.
0: And so, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, disappointing, underwhelming Mets baseball for the past couple of weeks like there has been for the rest of the season, but this feels different now. Like, it really feels like the air has gone out of everything because... Right. Nothing that happens the rest of the way this season is really going to matter. Right. Um, and the people in charge of the team are not going to be around. They've said that, you know, they're going to do a GM search. So John Rico's not getting the job. Omar Minaya apparently doesn't want the job. Um, they're going to bring in somebody new. And that person is going to come with their own template, their own people. Who the heck knows if Mickey Callaway is going to be back next year? This always seems to happen. With the Mets, I haven't actually done in, done the, the research on this, but to my memory, it always feels like we hire managers and the next year we replace GMs.
1: I would As have to, to go like, back and yeah. look and see how frequently it's happened. It certainly has a feeling of an organization that doesn't know which way it's going. Yeah. Um, and all of these questions are valid. Um, you know, I've been wondering... You know, does Mickey Calloway even want this job anymore?
0: I think he does. And, and you know, going back to what you were saying about manicured press statements, mm-hmm. the most interesting little piece of dirt slash gossip that's come out in my mind in the past couple of weeks. And that's another thing with Sandy stepping down and the new, the, the triumvirate right. uh, um, that is now in charge. You see like the beat writers and the people around the team. It feels like they've been shaken up. So like nobody really quite knows, like, well, what are we what are we not allowed to say anymore? Or what can we say? Or, or so the did you see the thing that came out a couple of weeks ago that apparently there was a meeting between the major league staff and the minor league development people that devolved into like a shouting finger pointing yes. match. And that to me says volumes. Right. That to me says there's a reason that Dom Smith looks un- unprepared. is Because he is unprepared. There's a reason that Ahmed Rosario has hit a plateau and hasn't been able to break past it. Perhaps even there's a reason that... Where's Michael Conforto gone? Like, oh. like that the people coming through the Mets minor league system are getting to the major leagues not ready. And when we see things like... Mickey and his major league staff doing base running drills where they the thing they they mentioned a couple weeks ago where they went to each base and they talked about things basic strategy that's Mickey and his major league staff having to teach people that they should not have
1: to right. teach two other examples of the same thing um, one is look at Ahmed Rosario's just unpreparedness on the base pads yeah. I Rosario is, look, stolen bases are overrated. I think that in a lot of cases, the risk of the stolen base outweighs the reward. But when you take it out as an option, when you have your your fastest player able to get on base and then not knowing how to read a pitcher to get an effective jump, um, that's somebody who's unprepared to do a part of their job.
0: And so this is where I have to go back then and start wondering again what really happened with Wally Batten. Yeah. And that there was something, some personality issue, some personality issue, or something, but they f- fired Batman two years ago. Right. And I think it would be interesting to see whether or not there was an organizational dispute that Batman lost, and whoever won that has been responsible for sending these unprepared players. To
1: the right. Leagues. And, you know, what we see, it's, you know, it's not just, um... Rosario not being able to read a picture to get a good jump. You also see it, and I don't want to point the finger just at the Mets here. Um, This is something endemic across baseball, the inability to execute a sacrifice bunt. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just the Mets, because last night, um, Devin Masarocco trying to put a bunt down, um, he didn't come through the Mets organization. Clearly, it's not something that is valued Um, in minor league baseball. And look, I understand why. I don't like sacrifice bunts, but every now and then, there's a time when it's called for, when it is a good play, and it seems as if, not just on the Mets, there is just so few people in major league baseball who can effectively lay down a bunt.
0: I, I actually really, really enjoyed watching the bottom of the ninth inning last night because there were successful executions I'm not 100% certain that like that Mesoraco's bunting was authentic that I I I think it's possible that the play went as executed that he was told to show bunt for the first couple of mm-hmm. pitches and then switch to right. bring them in and then he grounded through the, the middle and it True. worked perfectly and then Rosario came up and perfectly
1: sacrificed he did and you know what? You're right, he did. I'm focused on the negative of Mesa You may be right. Uh, and let's also give credit to Rosario for absolutely doing his job there. And then, look, remember that uh, uh, Joey Bats, who we said would not last two weeks on the Mets? Joey Bats. He's actually been, I don't even want to say quietly productive. Uh, we're recording this the day after... Um, Bautista won a game for the Mets um, with a walk-off Grand Slam home run. Um, Joey Bats has quietly put up a 400-plus on-base percentage. He's
0: the Adrian Gonzalez we were promised.
1: Yes, yes, this is the Adrian Gonzalez <laughs> yes. we were looking for. Yes. Um, I and never with, thought I'd see that.
0: And with apologies to Gwen Verdon, whatever Joey wants, Joey Bats. <laughs> I was singing that at my house last night and my wife was looking at me like I was very strange because
1: it's the truth. (laughs) So, you know, we're at a point here, you know, the Mets are 14 games under 500 here. Um, I do the thing I always do where they win a game in sort of stirring fashion and I start projecting, okay, (laughs) they got 10 more games on this homestand. Let's just say they win nine out of the next 10. Okay, that puts us at six games under it's possible it's not going to happen
0: I've, I've gone the complete other way I want to see a well-executed sacrifice bunt I want to see someone go first to third I want to see situational hitting I want to see someone exploit the shift and like hit the ball through the giant freaking hole like I just want to see well-played situational baseball right and for the love of Pete somebody let Jacob DeGrom win a
1: Well, the Mets at least won a game that DeGrom started last night. Let's take a moment here. Um, Jacob DeGrom is quietly, if that's possible, the best pitcher in the National League. Um, I Look, I've been a DeGrom fan ever since I hung up my... um, Boy, I was going to just pull a name out of nowhere. Pete Harnish. Every, <laughs> Pete <laughs> Harnish is a good one. Um, ever since I hung up my uh, Rafael Montero jersey, yeah. I um, have been so squarely in DeGrom's corner. I love the fact that he just takes the ball every fifth day and goes out there and does his job and um, gives the Mets an outstanding chance to win a ballgame that they absolutely fumble. Um, Jacob Degrom has pitched this season in just elite territory. Uh, he has been amazing. If he was on a winning ball club, he would be he would be the front runner for the Cy Young Award and maybe the Most Valuable Player Award. He's been that good. He
0: might still be the front runner for the Cy Young Award, although they don't tend to give that to people on losing teams. Well,
1: he's been good enough.
0: But he might not be on a losing team much longer. That's true. And I mean, I think this goes to what we were saying before about how all the air has gone out of the team because we know they're going to be dismantled. The question becomes how much? Right. The question is, and you know, John Rico came out yesterday, apparently, and said something to the effect that they're not looking to do. They're not going to do a full teardown. They're looking to be competitive in 2019, which, okay, that's easy to say. But how are you going to do
1: that? Here's something that just sort of blew my mind yesterday, though. I'm listening on the radio as I'm driving through LA traffic, and I'm hearing Howie Rose on the radio talking about that quote that you mentioned, mm-hmm. where you know the Mets have basically said, we would need to be blown away by a deal mm-hmm. to move DeGrom or Syndergaard. Yeah. Like, we would just have to be blown away. And Howie says, because the Mets want to be competitive in 2019- and I thought to myself, 2019, that's far away.
0: <laughs> 2019, that's when Blade Runner takes
1: place. Right. But no, 2019 is five months from now. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've been a Mets fan long enough to have been excited about the 1982 season starting.
0: <laughs>
1: and wow. I suddenly felt so incredible. Incredibly old Yeah. at the idea that 2019 is five months away. Yeah, um, boy, that hurts.
0: I sort of felt something similar yesterday when they were talking about Joey, but uh, Joey Batista in the twilight of his career
1: at age 37. At age 37. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when I when I look at Jose Batista. And realize he is in the twilight of his career, and I am seven years older than he is. Yeah. Um, boy, that, and I, I forget all the time that I'm getting older. Yeah. I feel in my heart, although actually my heart may disagree when you consider my diet, um, I forget that I'm not still yep. a kid. There's a commercial that, that plays during the Mets radio broadcasts. Um, about a kid who loved baseball and wanted to be a baseball player. And again, the punchline is, and at age 42, he realized he was never going to make it. I've joked with you, Jay. I still concoct scenarios <laughs> where I somehow end up on the Mets roster mm-hmm. as a player. Like, not even just somebody sweeping the clubhouse. <laughs> like, I'm 44 years old. Um, I, I throw like both of my arms are broken. And um, I cannot hit yeah. to save my life. I'm afraid of the ball.
0: Well, then you'll fit right in in the Mets lineup. Right.
1: But I, I still think well, there's some scenario where I could end up hey, on the field.
0: Anything can happen, and you know how I know that? I know that because suddenly Henry Mejia has been unbanned. Wow. from his lifetime ban.
1: I remember (laughs) saying a couple of of years ago, I'll play in the major leagues before Henry Mejia stomps on the mound again.
0: Now, I know it's fun that we can be like, what? This is crazy. We never saw this coming. What does it mean? Lifetime ban, not so much lifetime. But come on. We all, when they banned him, every story was he will be able to reapply, to apply for reinstatement in two years. Right. It's been two years. He applied. The commissioner was like, so that thing you said about there being conspiracy against you—do you still, do you still feel that way? And I'm guessing Henry was like, "No, I'm yeah. sorry."
1: Yeah, and look, I always feel like people have a right to earn a living, mm-hmm. um, as long as he is not um, physically abusing someone. Go out and you know, if you can go earn your way back on onto the field, go ahead and earn your way back onto the field.
0: I mean. It's basically the equivalent of parole, mm-hmm. right? It's like you were convicted. You've come in front of the board.
1: You've you served have, your time. You've, you've served
0: some of your time. You have owned up to it and taken responsibility. And I'm, I'm you know, it's really easy to think about someone else who's been banned from baseball mm-hmm. for life. Who has never taken responsibility. And because they have never taken responsibility... There are loads of people that have his back and want him put back in and um and i'm sorry like if i'm the commissioner of baseball pete rose never steps on a baseball field again you broke the cardinal rule and you have not taken responsibility for it
1: i disagree with you there Ooh. simply because of here's my my exact argument, and this is an argument that my dad used to make. Mm-hmm. Um, was my dad refused to go to the Hall of Fame with me mm-hmm. after Pete Rose got banned for life from baseball because his feeling was, how is it a Hall of Fame if Pete Rose is not in it? Regardless of what you think of right. of Pete Rose as a as a player and a human being, when you stack him, when you stack what he did against what other members of the Hall of Fame are alleged to have done and somebody like let's just go way back in history someone like the Cap Ansons of the world Mm -hmm. who were openly violently racist Um, how does that stand out?
0: I have a very simple solution Sure. which is Pete Rose can absolutely be in the Hall of Fame and he can be inducted the year after he dies he doesn't get to enjoy it
1: Okay. Uh, but also
0: you can't say that Right. You have to wait for him to shuffle off. <laughs> right. And then you put him.
1: But I feel like when you're telling the story of the game of baseball, right. Which is the question comes at you: What do you want the Hall of Fame to be? Then
0: you have a section of the Hall of Fame called Jail, where <laughs> like they be in there. Like here's our little like it's by the toilets, mm-hmm. and it's a little sort of like broom closet, and like it's a, it's a, it's a plaque made of cardboard mm-hmm. with shitty like crayon drawings, and it's like. They would be in the hall over there if they weren't such an awful human being who broke
1: these rules. I feel like what it comes down to is what you, what do you want the Hall of Fame to be? Do you want the Hall of Fame to be the story of the game or a reward for good behavior? And right now, it's neither of those. Um, I you know I realize that I am in maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know. When I've been to the Hall of Fame, I have spent the least amount of time in that room where the plaques are because it's boring. Mm. I don't care about it. The museum, which tells a broader story of the game, and well, Pete Rose is in that museum. Yes. He it's is. it's it's dishonest to say he is not a part of the Hall of Fame because he's part of the museum.
0: Yes, but he doesn't have a plaque, and I think that's absolutely correct. And I, I love, I haven't been in the Hall of Fame in like 15 or 20 years, but I always spent a ton of time in that
1: hall. I, just
0: just just being in the presence of those
1: I like flats. to look, you know, I, I want to go see the big names yeah. I go look, you know, I want to go see, you know, the Roots, the Gehrigs, mm-hmm. but I also want to go now and, you know, last time I was there, um, you know, I made sure to go see, you know obviously Tom Seaver and if I was there this year I'd go see Mike Piazza yeah, We gotta
0: take a Flushing Transit Authority field trip to Cooperstown just to- <sighs> be nice see the piazza uh plaque
1: That'd yeah all of fame fun. and i'll spend all day in that museum so
0: anyway let's bring this back to henry because mm. you know henry apparently owned up to it yeah and you know sufficiently so that rob manfred gave him uh reinstatement I, I haven't seen the terms of what that is i would assume <laughs> That if, you know, he gets caught again, they bury him under City Field? <laughs>
1: <laughs> My understanding is that he is able to work out. He is able to, um, I believe he is able to participate in, like, minor league workouts. Uh, and he's able to go to spring training next year where he can potentially earn his way. Yeah. On to ball club what I don't know and I'd have to look this up is what is his contract status? Like is he under contract He's
0: Under contract the Mets will control his rights But he doesn't have enough service time to be a free agent So right. basically the Mets could decide to tender him a contract or not got it um, And you got to assume that with a new GM coming in They'll at least want to keep all their options open
1: Yeah, and I think options is the big thing when you look at the Mets for the remainder of 2018 what they're playing for right now is all right. What do we have for two thousand nineteen? We're gonna assume that this season is a wash, and hey, if we win some ball games, great. But the reality is, we're auditioning for jobs in two thousand nineteen. Mm,
0: everyone's auditioning. So for I jobs. think maybe and, you know they're gonna try and stockpile. It's an interesting place for the triumvirate to be in because they have to stockpile prospects. For a team that they may not be working for.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, look, we've all been in jobs that we knew we were leaving. Mm-hmm. And there are sort of two ways you go about that. One is you just work as hard as you can because you want to leave on good terms, mm-hmm. you want to maintain connections, you want to be able to go to your coworkers and say, Hey, remember the time I helped you out with that second base problem? Yep. Or You start setting up your new job.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, If I am the... I'm, I'm a person where I'm always grateful to the organization who's been paying me and I want to leave on good terms. So I go about my job. If I'm, you know, in the organization where I'm assessing talent and I'm trying to figure out how do I set this team up to succeed regardless of where I am in the future. And I think if you are part of that triumvirate right now, you're looking at these players and you're saying, who is going to be here next year? And as I look at this roster, there are a lot of open questions mm-hmm. as far as who's going to be here. Yep. Um, if you ask me, a couple of players have really stepped up and done a really nice job Um, this year. Namely, Zach Wheeler. Yes. Zach Wheeler has been um, really solid. And I think Zach Wheeler has finally grown into and developed into the player that the Mets hoped he would become when he was traded, when he was picked up for. I don't know if people remember this. Zach Wheeler came to the Mets in the Carlos yep. Beltran trade. That was seven years ago. Yeah. And it has taken Zach Wheeler a long time to develop. But Zach Wheeler right now, if you look at his last dozen starts, has shown himself to be a quality number three, maybe even number two starter on a on a good major league club. Yep. He's played better than his record indicates, but well, Jacob Degrom has already got him. Yeah, is already the front of the line in that in that contest. Um, but I I'm excited about seeing Zach Wheeler uh, continue to develop. He's only 28 years old. I know, but feel like we've been hearing about <laughs> Zach Wheeler for a long time. But he's 28. Um, he's got plenty of life left in. Uh, let's just hope he stays healthy and continues to pitch well. I'm at a point with the team right now where I'm just looking for stories to feel good about. Mm -hmm. And Zach Wheeler is definitely one of them. There are other players who I feel a lot less positive about. And not to beat up on Dom Smith. But as you said earlier, Dominic Smith looks unprepared. And Ahmed Rosario appears to be just...
0: Overwhelmed.
1: Dolled. Yeah. And, and Conforto
0: seems to have taken another couple of steps backwards.
1: Well, I don't I don't even know where Michael Conforto has gone. Yeah. You know, the best player on this team right now, position player, is the ageless Strubbel Cabrera. Yeah. A really interesting point was brought up on the broadcast last night, um, the radio broadcast, which is uh, Howie and Josh were talking about hey, what if the Mets are able to actually flip Jose Batista for something of value?
0: (laughs) It wouldn't be the craziest thing in the
1: world. It it wouldn't. I mean, you look at, you know, an American League contending team who could use a bench off the bat, Mm -hmm. who can DH and maybe fill in Mm -hmm. in the outfield and in an emergency at third base, Jose Batista. Not that the Mets are going to get much in return for him, but just you never know.
0: I think the, the big question, I mean, the, the, the big problem, as always, is anybody who's worth keeping are, you know, going to be the only people that you could get something and trade for. Right. And the people who you don't want to keep, you can't get anything for. Right. And, you know, we could look at this as a replay of last year where they just wanted a salary dump and they didn't want to pay any of that money. And so they took, you know, no prospects back. And if they do that again, we're just in the same place we were last right. year. They could pay some of that salary and get better prospects, um, but, you know, it's it's really sort of up in the air on, you know, do they have to trade Wheeler and Mats right now? Like, if they need to make moves, if they need to restock, how else are they going to do it? Mm-hmm. There just doesn't seem to be much of a path forward. How are they going to get anybody to take Todd Frazier unless they pay a chunk of his salary? Same thing with Jay Bruce. like. Jay Bruce is a great player to have when he's healthy, but he's not gonna be the solution for this team anymore. Right. Like, like, like that hasn't worked. And so either we suffer through a couple more years or we just cut bait and go in a different direction. And with a new GM coming in next year, I I I would imagine that they would want to have as much latitude as possible. Right. I remember seeing a a, a factoid somewhere, and I don't remember where this was, but how many how many people do the Mets have under contract after? How many people do the Mets have contract commitments to after the year twenty twenty one?
1: Right now, I'd have to look it up. I don't know off the, the top of my head.
0: Zero. Hmm. And so there's some flexibility. I'm guessing the Bobby Bonilla deal runs out by then. I don't
1: know. That's a good but, question. I don't know when that runs out.
0: But, but so there is a certain amount of flexibility. Um, and you gotta, I mean, also you gotta hope that if, you know, Cespedes could somehow come back and show himself to be able to be healthy for a couple of months, we might be able to trade him for something and just mm-hmm. get out of that contract. Just so that whoever's coming in next has some latitude to spend. But I think the most important, as always, the most important change, personnel change that this team is gonna make is who's gonna get that GM job. Right. And I don't nearly know enough about who the potential candidates are, but that's not gonna stop me from picking <laughs> Throwing someone names out there. Who I want them to hire. And it's completely self serving and I have no actual idea how well this person would do or what their organizational philosophy is. Who's, but I who, don't care. Who's your person? I want Kim Ng. Kim Ng is the—I forget her exact title now. She's with the. She's the uh, assistant GM with the Dodgers. She spent many years. She actually ran the Dodgers for a short period when uh, their GM had a, a leave of absence. She came up through the Yankees system for a long time. Um, I've heard her name for at least eight or nine years in like reading stories about different teams. Everyone seems to really, really uh, uh, esteem her. As a as a leader, right, and you know, uh, not to get political or anything, because we never do that, right.
1: Of course not. But Why we've would we? We talked a
0: lot about how, with the state of the world right now, it's it's kind of nice to know. Like I, in some cases, not in all cases. In some cases, I want to know who the people around me are who have opinions and beliefs that are incompatible with mine so I can get rid of them and I can cut them out.
1: I have done a little bit of that in my own life recently.
0: And I can't think... That's not true. I can think of one... With the exception of electing Hillary Clinton president.
1: Which, to be fair, we did do.
0: To be fair, which we did do. But with the exception of that, a female general manager for a baseball team in New York City is going to bring out all the asshats from the woodwork and while it will be i mean it'll be terrible for her like that's the most important thing but for us i want to know who those assholes are mm-hmm. so i can stand
1: and stand opposite them. yes when you said you ha- i i suspected this is where you were going which is why i asked you who is your person yes. not who is your guy yes um i would love to see this at this point the Mets have tried it so many different ways yeah. hasn't worked. If the Mets who always want to win the back page, mm-hmm. what better moves could the could the organization make to win the back pages and get some attention in a positive way to your ball club other than saying we're going to we're going to be the te- the first team in Major League Baseball to have a a non-male general manager. Mm-hmm. It would be easy to say, well, we don't want to do that in the biggest stage. You know, go be the first female general manager in Tampa. Yep. Well, you know what? Forget that.
0: Somebody's got to whisper in Fred's ear. You know how Fred has an obsession with the Dodgers? Well...
1: She was good enough to work for the Dodger organization. Good enough
0: for the Dodger organization, but...
1: She probably has... The most famous
0: thing that the Dodgers ever did... Was break a taboo when everyone else was too cowardly to do it? Right. Do you want the back pages, Fred? Go for it. Now, I will say this is what I said before about you know wanting to know who these people are. That's a I, I recognize that as a dangerous sort of line to walk because if you polled most of the people that play on the Mets or play for the Mets. I'd be fairly certain that most of them would line up in a different place than I I would want. I I, I have to every few weeks or so I remember that Keith Hernandez went to Mar a Lago. I was years just I about to, to say force myself to to forget it. Can I tell you the the biggest fear, the biggest thing I live in fear of, it's not that the Mets are gonna lose a game, it's not the Mets are gonna lose all the games, it's not that they're gonna be embarrassing. I am terrified of Brandon Nimmo being Duck.
1: Yes. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Milkshake Duck, what's that?" <laughs> Milkshake Duck is a, is sort of a meme where I, it goes like this. Oh my God, Milkshake Duck is amazing. Five minutes later, Milkshake Duck is racist. Yes. So I don't want to find out that Brendan Nimmo is a terrible human being.
0: I mean, he, I, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to cast an entire state. <laughs> In a certain light, but if you play the percentages, he's from Wyoming. He's very religious. He points to God every time he walks. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying the odds that we see a photo of Brandon Nimmo wearing a Make America Great hat again, I think is pretty high. Yes. And I really, really live in terror of the day I see
1: that. I'm going to—I know exactly two people from the state of Wyoming— excluding Brandon Nimmo. Mm-hmm. I know two people from the state of Wyoming both whom are ultra liberal. So, my math says <laughs> there's a 100% chance okay. that Good. I'm going to go see Brandon Nimmo at, at a pride parade <laughs> any one of these days.
0: I hope you're right. I described to that.
1: But here's what I'm afraid of. Okay. Let's just say your scenario plays out, and the Mets at least publicly say, we're interested in having the first female general manager. Mm -hmm. Um, I can already hear Keith Hernandez sighing into the microphone, and look, I love Keith, I will always love Keith for what he did for the organization Um, by bringing back credibility to the organization in the the 80s, and for what he did on the field, Um, but... If I, if I went to a party and Keith Hernandez was there, I would walk away from him in 30 seconds. And look, I, I still love hearing him complain in the booth when it's the seventh inning and the Mets are down six runs and nobody's throwing strikes and Keith just wants to get to dinner. But Keith at this point is your very problematic uncle who is trying to do the right things and say the right things, but can't get out of his own way. And I can just see him not being able to control himself. I feel like what is more likely to happen than the Mets um, going down this path is they go the Dodgers route where they name somebody who is not a dude the assistant GM, where it's we've got somebody in the picture Hey, we're giving this a shot, but the, the head job and the name that signs, you know, that signs the contracts is still going to be just, you know, Johnny White Guy, maybe not Johnny White Guy, but certainly Guy, um, because are the Mets going to be the ones to take that chance? And I think that that chance is going to be taken by a team that's got nothing to lose Let's say, for instance, the Miami Marlins, who have yeah. got a PR problem, in that they have kind of, you know, dismantled the team. They play in a stadium nobody likes, but they've got a figurehead in Derek Jeter, who is at least media savvy. Yeah, that's a that's a winning uh, formula to win and a back it page. Looks
0: like they're you know they're going to turn around faster than anyone thought they would. So mm-hmm. that might. It might turn out uh, well for them, not great for us.
1: I am, I am all for though, the Mets making a bold, um, a bold move. But for right now, here's what I would like to see between now and the end of the season. Believe it or not, we still have three months of baseball to go. Mm-hmm. We still have half a season, practically.
0: We still have at least one winning streak. Left, where you'll you'll get in that moment. Hey, if they keep this up for another seven weeks, they're right back in it.
1: Mm-hmm. And look, I've already done this thing <laughs> where like, oh, nobody's running away with this division. Yeah. Like, who would they have to beat? Hey, they've got nine. They've got ten home games ahead of them, mm-hmm. um, including a doubleheader on Monday against the Phillies, which will be fun to watch. Anything oh, could happen.
0: That reminds me. I meant to. I've been asking this to a couple. of people have come up with a good answer yet but i'm looking for what's the not racist version of built on an indian burial ground i've been like trying to find like cuz i don't want to use that cuz that's awful but like what's the non racist substitute
1: for that what is the context in which you are looking to use on it on what
0: city field is built on okay
1: well i would say um is city field built on Boy, I don't even know where to go with this. Right. That's let's, a tough let's, let's one. Let's
0: think about this. We we need a we need something to replace that awful racist trope, but that does the same job because obviously there's something under the site that the stadium is on that is like cursed the team.
1: Right? Is um, it is it an old Nolan Ryan jersey? I don't know. Um, when you think of like players the Mets let get away.
0: Speaking of uh, baseball and racism, I—it's
1: uh, <laughs> never a good way to start a uh, sentence. We watched
0: Major League the other day. Oh, I'm sure that which holds up wonderfully. It's still a wonderfully fun movie in a really racist, outdated way. Like all of—I mean, like it's loaded with all, I guess, the standard Cleveland Indian stuff from the time. Which yes. Is like, <clears throat> And it's a throwback to you know an earlier type of we all come together and you know overcome our differences and what are our differences we're all very clear quote unquote types and just wow
1: yeah it's a movie I Major League is one of those movies that my that for rewatchability my dad was a was a big fan of and so I have probably seen Major League um, oh. A hundred times. Um, the thing that drives me crazy about Major League, uh, beyond mm. the um, the just the way they beat you over the head with the Chief Wahoo yeah. and the the drumming and the presence of Charlie Sheen, is that that version of Wild Thing,
0: uh, the X cover of Wild, which is
1: X's biggest quote unquote hit. Yeah, X. Which was and still is a a wonderful LA band that I highly recommend going and checking out the X catalog beyond um, Wild Thing. And please do not look into the politics (laughs) of their uh, uh, co-lead singer. Um, It's uh, it's not great. (laughs) Um, But boy, those early X records, which I know on the TV broadcast, Gary Cohen occasionally makes reference to yes. um, whenever Hunter Cervenka would appear. Um, you <laughs> yes. would get Gary dropping a good Exene Cervenka reference, yes. whose politics you should not look into. Um, but yeah, it's, that's the thing that drives me crazy about that movie. It's um,
0: I do, however, maintain a perverse pride in the fact that when they got around to making Major League Two they decided that they needed to add a character based on a Met. Which, you know, no other team in I, the league can say.
1: I have never seen Major League 2.
0: Major League 2 has a major character based on Mackie Sasser.
1: No! The whole
0: thing where he can't throw no. back to the back to the, yeah. Major League 2 also uses a joke that was cut out of Major League 1 but was in the, the trailer. trailer.
1: would have been out of any... Yeah, yeah, would, it's, yeah it's the, the, you know, the, the Yellowstone ball, ball joke. ball wouldn't have
0: been, been out of most parks. Name one, Yellowstone.
1: I remember that yes. from the trailer for Major League, and I'm yeah. like, oh, that's a good baseball joke.
0: I also learned something very interesting about Major League uh, uh, recently, which is that, if you'll recall, like the whole setup is the... Um, Young bitchy new female owner Mm -hmm. wants them to tank so that she can move the team to Miami. (laughs) And so she's the villain. And like, they keep like showing her watching the game and booing when they do well and cheering when they do bad. Apparently when they originally filmed the movie, there was a third act reveal that she actually wanted them to win. And this whole thing had been put together to motivate them into succeeding and basically Rachel Phelps invented Moneyball (laughs) and they brought it to test audiences and the test audiences hated it and so they had to go back and do reshoots where they reshot all of her scenes in the last part of the movie so that she was still the bad guy
1: and was angry that they were winning Oh, yes. you know what? I like the movie better. And it's—is there a Major League director's cut out there? I don't think who there directed is. Major League. Let's go David find it. David S. Him. Ward,
0: was All right. a writer and director. There is a book about like the oral history of the making of Major League. But just so just so everyone remembers, if you know you're wondering who invented Moneyball, Rachel Phelps invented Moneyball.
1: Interesting. In Interesting. I I had no idea. Um, that's fascinating, and I wish that somewhere on, like, a Blu-ray is the director's <laughs> cut of Major League. Yeah. Um, would you say Major League is your favorite baseball movie? No, it
0: is not. I, I mean, aside from all of its... It is a problematic, problematic fave. It's, I mean, it's a very solid movie in terms of, you know, classic baseball movie structure and tropes and people coming together. Tom Barringer is, very appealing mm-hmm. as the lead. It's Renee Russo's first movie. She's always fantastic. Um, Wesley Snipes, like this is one of his first—not right. his, his first movie—but it's it's one of the ones that brought him to prominence. Mm-hmm. They're all really appealing. Um, it's Dennis Haysbert as- as- is Dennis in- as- Haysbert as the awfully racist caricature of uh, 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 Pedro Serrano. But even through that, he is so appealing personally sure that it's 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 hard to get upset at him for that like what yeah. are you going to do
1: when I see Dennis Hasbert either in 24 yeah. or in the insurance commercials yes. he does I just think ah, if he can only hit the curveball
0: yeah 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 but no, it is it is not my favorite baseball movie. I may have even said this before on the podcast. My favorite baseball movie is a uh, not very well known, made for HBO film called Soul of the Game, okay. uh, which is about the breaking of the color barrier. Uh, but it's done differently. Like I, they made a big movie out of this a couple of years ago, Forty Two, mm-hmm. with Chadwick Bozeman and Harrison Ford, which was good. I mean, it's it's a well done movie. It like hits the inspirational sports drama like beat. Every single beat, you, like, you know everything that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's well executed. Chadwick Boseman is great. Harrison Ford gives one of the better performances he's done in the last 10 years. Right. Soul of the Game tells a similar version of the story, except it's the much more politically aware and savvy and realistic version. So it follows um, Jackie Robinson, Satchel Paige, and Josh Gibson as the tide is turning and everyone knows that someone is going to sign an African-American ball player and they're all auditioning to be the first one. the great, the late great Edward Herman plays Branch Rickey. And it's about the competition between these three guys as they are trying to position themselves to do this thing. Um, uh, the, the incredible Delroy Lindo plays Satchel Page and Delroy Lindo is one of those actors mm-hmm. who is always having fun no matter what he's doing. And the, the marriage of Delroy Lindo as actor and Satchel page's character is perfect. Like he looks nothing like Satchel Page,
1: But he manages but to he capture he the feelings.
0: Him. Uh, Michael T. Williamson is Josh Gibson. Blair Underwood is, uh, Jackie Robinson and it's just really smart, very uh, uh, savvy version of this story, where it takes the you know the feeling that you want to have about this is a breakthrough right. and this is you know a huge moment, and really delves into the human cost behind it. Um, and it's just really, really, really well done. I can watch it over and over and over again. How many people know? Uh, know it or have seen it, but I believe it is freely available on YouTube. The whole movie is on YouTube, so I it's highly true. recommend
1: it. It's I, I think of the HBO catalog because the HBO has a really deep catalog yeah. of baseball movies. There was a movie I want to say back in the late '80s called Long Gone, which yes. was about a minor league William baseball team and, and Virginia Madsen. Yes. And I, I have no idea how that yeah. holds up, but when I was like a thirteen, fourteen year old kid. And would just devour Mm -hmm. anything that had baseball in it. Yeah. That was one that I really enjoyed a lot. Mm -hmm. And as far as, like, boy, other baseball movies, they're hard to come by. Yeah. Um, Either I get, either the liberties they take with the game drive me crazy. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I remember really enjoying Long Gone. But the HBO catalog, which is so deep with those sort of low-budget original productions they used to make. Yeah. Um, you know, you go through, like, HBO Go, you go through their on-demand archives, and there's so much stuff that I remember watching as a kid that is gone. Yeah. Um, I would love to be able one day to sit through all of those HBO original productions from before HBO was a prestige network, (laughs) when it was just like, hey, we've got some movies, We've got these episodes of Dream On that we made because we have access to this archival footage from Time Warner, Mm -hmm. and also here's uh, First and Ten. Oh my God, First and Ten. First and Ten. You can buy the. I think that there's there's a complete DVD series. Boy, First and Ten. I know it's. We don't talk about football, but you want to talk about a problematic TV show? Wow. That checked every box. And
0: that was before O.J. Simpson killed his wife.
1: (laughs) But I watched First and Ten religiously yeah. because as like a twelve-year-old there was a good chance that you were going to see something you weren't supposed to see on TV. I,
0: I actually I remember jokes from first and ten. I remember bits from I, the-
1: as do I. Jason
0: Beegee as uh the cord- the young quarterback, Yanessa.
1: Uh-huh. Tom Yunessa? Tom Yanessa. Do you, uh, do you hey, remember? Vanessa?
0: It's Yanessa.
1: With, with a ball- Y. Like in you're an man. asshole. <laughs> I can't believe I can't, we both know this. <laughs> we both know this. <laughs> we both know this. <laughs> are we going to turn this into a wow. first, first in and ten, ten podcast? I you don't know,
0: with the way the Mets are going, we might as well dig up the you know the, the old exploits of Bubba Kincaid and Jethro Snell. It might be a um, good, good use of our time.
1: Tony Longo as Mad Dog. Oh, my I would yeah. get excited when I would see, for some reason, he was a guy who I'm like, I want to see him in more things. Boy, this turned into a first and 10 podcast yeah. really quickly.
0: The tiny Lister was on the
1: show too. He right? was. Yeah. You know what? On that note, yeah. we should probably just wrap we this should. up. We yeah, should. You know what?
0: We're talking about the bench of the, the, the California Bulls. California
1: Bulls. Right. Get bullish with the Bulls. Yeah. Get bad with the Bulls. Yeah. On that note... <laughs> We'll see you in two weeks with a first and ten recap. (laughs) We're going to just end it here. Let's go Mets, everybody. Jay, see you next time.
0: See you at the baseball television shows.
1: And the first and ten movies. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. This took a weird turn.